Hello and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 123. My slightly silly concept for this episode is I'm going to cover nine death metal albums, which are all like albums that when I think of them, I think of them as very contemporary releases and to varying degrees they're all much older than I remember. And I think in some cases this sort of speaks to the fact like their albums I enjoyed at a certain point in time, but I think they've sort of survived the test of time, at least in, you know, my humble opinion, where they still hold up as quite kind of contemporary, interesting releases. And because they're not from the 90s, like, they don't feel as part of, like, the classic sort of early waves of death metal. They're kind of nebulously in that sort of middle time. And yeah, whenever I think of them, it feels like they were released in, like, 2019 or something, but a lot of them significantly older than that. Um, I've got a bit of a range of them here, like they're over quite a varying time period and some lean towards like different different other genres as there's some blackened stuff, some some more doomy, even one that gets kind of industrial, so hopefully there's enough scope in here that there should be something that would appeal to uh, each listener. So the first album I'm covering today, I'm aware is a bit older, but I think I always forget quite how much this band have done since, particularly because I was kind of lost interest in them like not long after this release so it's Belfagor with their I believe sixth album Pest Apocalypse 6 yeah well the, the kind of kind of explaining that one to you there Phil um but yeah they're the sixth album Pest Apocalypse if you're not familiar with Belfagor they're apparently been around like a real long time actually they started out in 1991 very short lived under the name Betrayer and then sort of switch gears to becoming this more black and death metal themed band like austrian based band actually as well um which i feel you see few less bands from austria maybe just my my ignorance of that scene but they've been like pretty consistent over the years like putting out an album every three years at least and actually in the run-up to pest apocalypse they had a bit more of a kind of um together lineup they like and put out three albums in short succession lucifer ancestors and goat reich flesh cult before this one which were i'd say from my experience of the band that the real highlight era and hilariously not the worst era for names of their albums they they do get more stupid over time but yeah uh, other than being plagued with regular changes um in drummer um like they, yeah they had a consistent bass player sort of guitarist and vocalist and uh lead guitarist for all this era and what they did which i think really appealed to me this album pest apocalypse was out in 2006 and i think i got it when it came out so this would be like before i'd gone to uni or anything like that um what kind of excited me about it at the time was it was the first thing I'd heard really merging black metal and death metal quite seamlessly, which is something I've I've talked about a few times, and it's becoming, in recent years, this, this point is less relevant, but I, I really felt for a time it seemed like a really obvious thing to do to merge those two sounds, but it was quite rare, um, or at least rare to be executed in a way that was really enjoyable and i feel something like pest apocalypse gets it just right where it has that kind of melding of the atmosphere of black metal songs and kind of like the vocal delivery and kind of over the top occultism and evil with that but over this quite brutal like leaning towards the end like the actual subgenre of brutal death metal approach to stuff like the rhythm section and and kind of the mix as well like 
they so the the opening track hell's ambassador really summarizes what i mean by this it opens with this riff that is clearly on a heavily downtuned guitar but it has that combination it's really low and brutal but slightly evil but then they throw in these like pinch harmonics to accent it then the drums come in with this this repetitive double kick like groove that just sort of emphasizes and adds to it and then both the drums speed up to a blast beat and this really fast lead guitar comes in but the blast beat is using this hyper pingy snare making it sound yeah very classic brutal death metal but this lead passage over the top is like a really trad tremolo pick um black metal riff like the whole like the the kind of notes being used are so archetypal black metal and it trades back and forth between this kind of like more evil sounding passage to this more brutal passage and then when helmus vocals come in um, he has this delivery that is quite odd like it's it's very low but like sort of interestingly enunciated and they have thrown these kind of like higher screams is I, I guess um not a totally dissimilar approach to what is it emperor magnus caligula the the early vocalist of dark funeral slash like early hypocrisy stuff that kind of like almost like bullfrog like growl that's um very hard to place it's 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 an interesting delivery i think it quite works coupled with the majority of the lyrics um for the album being in german um there is there's quite a strangeness to all of the vocals that works very well despite the often slightly uh tonally stupid lyrics uh, this this intro as well like it's probably a highlight of the album for me i remember seeing like the music video as a teenager and being like oh holy fuck this is so evil and over the top and uh, like that that song just perfectly sort of captures the energy of the band and probably is a highlight from the album but there, there's a lot of interesting things going on with the the next two tracks um particularly the angel of retribution it shows the interesting things they can add with with the black metal kind of elements like where the songs almost take on this like strange like melancholic tone because of the chord progressions they're using they have this there's a lot more atmosphere to this and a lot more kind of emotional depth than you get in a lot of uh say a lot of brutal death metal that would have been very popular in 2006 this is um yeah like it's it's an interesting interesting kind of take and what's quite interesting about the progression of the album it's it's 40 minutes so it's quite a tight thing and just around like the sixth track you start to feel like you've heard all the ideas they've got and then the final three tracks they they pull some quite interesting stuff out the bag but bluestem erotica the other of a single of the album gets very like very kind of melodic black metal feeling and then the the eighth track which is the only song written by sigurd uh the lead guitarist in the album is unsurprisingly incredibly lead guitar driven and is one of the highlight songs um from the release there's just some great interaction of like sort of clean guitar leads and we all when we get some interesting like sort of chanted vocals as well that make it like kind of more clean vocal-esque um that makes the songs feel quite epic and then then the outro is like a two minute intro like a two minute instrumental piece but it's really really brutal just like an incredible blasting um and just like really leaning into that ultra nasty snare sound yeah so and there's this sort of interesting production things going on as well of like the the guitar tone is quite raw and um black metal feeling it's not that very clear precise sound that would have been 
sort of so popular for death metal in the era although the drums do have that more kind of practice practice preciseness to them and i remember the combination of this showing this to friends at the time you were into heavy music um particularly more on like the you know the decapitated end of the spectrum which is like this is awful this production's so bad and like now it just seems very very normal to me but it, it was interesting how this kind of had a slightly different air to it than maybe a lot of stuff um that was contemporary to it i think like the cover art has an interesting look to it as well and again this might be nostalgia speaking it's very much that like it's sort of uh, that photo manipulated look that was um again quite popular at the time like this is a similar point in time to vader's impressions in blood and they were both i believe on nuclear blast so i reckon it's the same artist that did uh did both covers let's look this up Yes, it is the same artist, and it's uh, Spiros of um, of Septic Flesh fl- fame. I didn't realise I'd done like absolutely hundreds of album covers. I think it's certainly dated, but it it works very well for for the album. So yeah, it's it's interesting with Bob Gore. So after this point, uh, Sigurd would leave the band, and he had been with them since you know since the the Betrayer days. And for me, like I I think I've only really listened to the two albums that followed this. Um, Bondage Goat Zombie and Walpurgis Rites, and for me both like Bondage Goat Zombie like felt like a, a joke. I, I'm not I'm not quite sure what they were playing at with that one, and then Walpurgis Rites never pulled me back in. But uh, to kind of speak to the concept of this episode, the band have released six albums since. I keep thinking this one is relatively contemporary, but they're they're a band I've kind of completely been unable to keep up with. I hear I hear the newer stuff's not bad, but um yeah I, I've sort of completely fell off with them whereas like, i kind of know the first six albums quite well and yeah after after that like solidified lineup they had for best apocalypse kind of collapsed um yeah i, I sort of stopped paying attention so i think this this sort of middle period of belfagor i think really holds up as kind of an interesting statement in a possibly underutilized subgenre. but i, I do know they, they certainly have their detractors even from this era of the band like black and death metal always seems like a bit of an an odd sell despite to me it's almost like logical overlap between the two genres
up an album I really struggle to believe is almost 15 years old now. This is the debut album from Sweden's Tribulation, not the the original Swedish Tribulation, the later one that became kind of more of like a goth metal one with albums like Children of the Night. Um, But I've always maintained that my absolute favourite thing they released was their debut, The Horror, which was far more traditional Swedish death metal and it was like perfectly placed for the band to kind of like do well off because I think they'd been together as a unit apparently like under the name Hazard beforehand as more of like a fresh band through some demos and then like that that was back in 2001 so and they had a couple of demos and EP with the uh the current lineup ahead of the horror so they were a very tight unit going into this but more or less felt like a new band and 2009 this is not too long after the release of Daniel Ekerov's superb book on the history of Swedish death metal um and I, I think people were really stoked for this kind of sound I remember like there being this sudden huge resurgence and in interest in stuff like Edge of Sanity, um, Dismember, Entombed that kind of thing was really kind of like the death metal zeitgeist in 2009 at least at least from my my experience so a new band doing this with a, this own slight twist on it in a really tight formula i think it really did like you know catapult these guys to success and in in such a way where when they were to change the sound quite drastically with formulas of death the next album i think people were prepared prepared to go along with it because of the the strength of the horror the horror though it does just get everything right it's um it's a nine track album only just over half an hour and these songs are all you know these like three minute attacks of death metal but they manage to be so creative in these little spaces there'll be so many riffs so many interesting passages a brilliant kind of delivery of vocals in, a, in an immensely catchy manner some really creative and brilliantly executed lead guitar tracks like curse of resurrection it's, it's almost half the song is like guitar solos but it never feels like it lets up the intense pace like this is this is a pummeling pretty brutal album but brutal in the way say stuff like that first dismember album is but just with even more of a technical edge and refinement to it like there's a level of perfection to this maybe the the early swedish bands didn't you know didn't quite have by virtue of you know being kids releasing in the 90s whereas like you know the lineup of tribulation were that bit older although what the year 2009 i think a lot of them would have been in their their early 20s so this is still like an impressive achievement um the the kind of design and aesthetic of it is amazing um guitarists at the time uh what's uh, I'm trying to find the name. Uh, Jonathan Holson um, designed the cover, and it's it's got this fantastically like unambiguous what genre this is like this image of this like screaming ghoulish woman, but with this quite like arcane hand drawn board around it with the black and red color scheme, which like you know almost like sort of slightly uh, black metal <laughs> aesthetic there, but the image is so kind of zombified and evil. It's clearly in the death metal camp he he's actually done art for a few bands i think he has a really cool aesthetic like it, as i say it looks kind of like hand drawn or painted and this is the same guitarist who on stage always had a really interesting look where i think they had some kind of formal ballet training possibly quoting something completely wrong here but they were the incredibly skinny man who would often be like stood on like sort of tiptoes and dressed quite quite feminine on stage they had they're just a really interesting 
aesthetic for a death metal guitarist, so I guess later sort of more goth metal. But yeah, very very cool musician, and as I say, like fantastic um, guitarist. Like the the guitar duo of him and Azars, the 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 other lead guitarists, are just incredible. But um, Jenna's Anderson, the vocalist and bass player, his delivery is so perfectly in that kind of Swedish vein, that sort of higher register scream, but with like a real gnarliness to it. Like his, yeah, his delivery throughout just matches the intensity of all all the musicians on this album. It's just, it's an immense pummeling, but they, they find these ways to weave in the kind of horror elements. There's lots of little splashes of like horror movie keyboards, very much, you know, harking back to the the poltergeist uh, soundtrack moment in the middle of left hand path they just throw in lots of little touches like that throughout which which really cement well with you know the absolutely kind of ridiculous horror movie uh theming of everything like you know tracks like um graveyard ghouls seduced by the smell of rotten flesh the vampire it's all you know it's all classic horror tropes which fits so well with the genre of swedish death metal that always felt like uh, a genre that lyrically very rooted in in old school horror now i certainly don't begrudge the band having kind of shifted genres and gone on to try other things obviously a very young band when doing this and have found a a kind of sound that really worked for them and, and I, I do quite enjoy those later albums but i do think the horror is like almost just a perfect statement of that sort of early 2000s resurrection of the osdm sound like it's they 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 really nail it here and it's if you've if you've never heard this one and like their later releases i definitely advise going back and giving it a go there's the band just really gets something right on this album. So the next album I want to cover, I think, is an excellent companion piece to Tribulation. This is Norway's Obliteration with their second album, Necros Arms. So a band that apparently sort of going a similar length of time to Tribulation, apparently starting out in like 2001. Necros Arms in 2009, so the same year, 
very uh, it was a second album so they're a bit more possibly a bit more experienced at this point but it's another album really leaning into sort of an old school swedish death metal kind of sound i i I'd say that was the primary influence i think this band got a bit of a bump at the time so i remember fenris i think was very very fond of them i think i'm remembering that right again an album that like sort of going back to it now really doesn't feel like it's like you know closing on 15 years old but necrosomes whereas um the horror is this very tightly written very fast explosive album necrosomes although not hugely longer it's only about 45 minutes lets the songs get a bit more doomy and dark and they they take their time there's a a more plodding approach to the death metal here with much more focus on the low end as well for for a death metal album of this era the bass is incredibly loud on it the bass and drums take a huge part in it and what's really kind of fascinating about necrosomes is the changes of pace on it they're bad they're great for moving between blasts and then these exceptionally kind of doomy sounding riffs um the the bass as they come through if you take say the the title track necrosalms to evoke the frozen age the main theme of this is this cool cool kind of riff based around this kind of like groove with a pinch in it but the bass is like ever changing underneath it kind of giving this like great progression and that song itself like it's just full of amazing riffs where it'll move back and forth between these kind of doomy darker kind of moments and then into these like more kind of faster classic death metal uh style riffs something that was just immediately striking about this album was uh vocalist uh, Sindra solemn um he has such a unique de- delivery it's like very high range but it's in this it's this absolutely brilliant kind of pain shriek like it very very kind of dark sounding delivery that's just like you know whenever he's screaming that is your complete focus because it's such a such a striking sound i think they like there is a little bit of and maybe this is like going to be too high a praise but I, I do feel an album like this there's a little bit of shared dna with something like the kind of earlier morbus crone stuff where it feels kind of slightly progressive and weird but still very much within the confines of death metal i guess obliteration kind of fall more obviously into tropes of the genre but i do i do think there's some very sort of creative songwriting on display like particularly say the the last two minutes of spawn of the dying kind we get these fantastic like pile of bizarre like ever-changing riffs that have this really twisted kind of evil nature to them and kind of towards the end of the album the worm that gnaws in the night has this really great ending where things just all get a bit strange and the band try a load of things they haven't done before in the album like adding in these like almost semi-clean very odd disturbing vocals over you know it's the longest track in the album it's probably the most like expansive in terms of you know melding sort of different paced riffs together and it has this really great build-up um yeah there's something something there that really really works well coupled as well with this very um very hard to pass album covers like explosion of of colors unsurprising to see it's the same artist who did all the discord um album covers i think we even get a guest solo by a at the, that point in time uh member of discord discord uh discord with a k that is the norwegian kind of 
very progressive avant-garde death metal band excellent group but the album has some interesting moments playing around with sort of dissonance as well like the first two tracks ingesting death and catacomb of horror do is quite I, I I like the way they do is where they have like these quite dissonant like sort of musically weird riffs and then go into like an ultra chuggy very traditional death metal riff like so the 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 album has these ideas that go kind of outside the bounds of classic death metal and very quickly brings it into something you're comfortable with but coupled with that very very dark mix it all it all melds together really well yeah the, it, obliteration sort of they're a very cool band. They kind of, at least some sort of the albums I'm more familiar with later on, like Cenotaph Obscure, they kind of lean more and more into the doomy elements, which I, I think is kind of a shame. I, I like I think the change of pace on Necro's Arm is what really makes it stand out to me. It's like probably the favourite release of theirs. But um, the other thing that's actually fascinating, so they're, they're still active. They've, they've got four albums over this time period. They've basically never had a lineup change. It's the same four guys the whole way through, which is it's always really, really cool to see a band who, despite changing direction ever so slightly, managed to keep the, the same personnel through that whole period. <laughs> So next up, we're going to get into a slightly doomier release. This is Depot Frundis with their second album, A Bleak Reflection, from 2010. So Depot Frundis are a London band, and they've gone through kind of a lot of changes sound-wise over the years, like Metal Archives of the genre go from death doom uh, early on to progressive death, black metal in the middle period, and then they're more... Like, the last two albums, I'd say, are more traditionally, like, kind of tech death slash death metal kind of albums, very... Um, kind of classic transcending obscurity fair which uh, I've, I've quite enjoyed their last two releases but their release of bleak reflection I, I think is a really interesting one it sort of um mixes a lot of ideas together you can see it's a young band trying out a lot of different things there's there's like doom in there melodic death metal little bits of black metal in the sound around a core of like classic kind of death doom um particularly from the intro like the intro is this kind of combination of piano acoustic guitar and cello you can tell the band i think at this point in time were big fans of stuff like blackwater park there's a lot of that kind of 
very long progressive songs with elements of of progressive music outside of genres of metal getting into the sound there um but they 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 don't go as far as opeth into like the kind of clean vocals and that the majority of this music outside of um the two instrumental tracks is very much death doom metal I remember things that really grabbed me when I first came across this album, because it's much like the last two albums I bought when it initially came out, was firstly, Craig Land's incredibly audible vocal performance. He's got a extremely deep growl that he often does at a very slow pace, like these long-held syllables that is immensely understandable, and for like kind of that... That period in time, that that was something I really looked for in extreme music was these very sort of clear vocal deliveries. And the other the other thing is, Aaron McSporran's fretless bass tone is is kind of completely overwhelming. It's it's on a level with um, oh, what's the second obscure album, Cosmogenesis? Like the fretless bass tone on that, where you're like the first thing you notice about it. He's in he's so high in the mix and it's such a clear and distinct sound and i think again at this point in time i wasn't that um familiar with fretless bass in extreme music particularly doom i think that's still not a sound you hear regularly and he's such a technically gifted uh extremely talented like musician um it's a writer as well but he never is like just straight following the guitar he's always throwing in these extra kind of melodies to to the sound like a lot of the guitar playing will often be quite kind of straight doom riffs for large sections of the song and he'll be adding something quite interesting over the top of it he's um like recent years like he's left the band now sadly um but he did play on that uh excellent uh Tormarum album ashes in the realm of stone icons uh last year and his his bass playing on that i think was a huge a huge addition but as i say the songs are these these long very expansive like the album is is giant it's eight tracks and it's over 70 minutes long like each track is almost sort of 10 minutes runtime and it will go through sort of all these different ideas as so say you get passages where you get like kind of fast blasty stuff like fast pick like tremolo huge amounts of like melodic kind of lead sections a lot of very memorable riffs particularly as we get to the sort of the middle of the album nocturnal splendor cease to bleed cease to be and crimson black bleeding all have these very memorable passages to it and this combination like sort of lead guitar and the vocal delivery really really does get stuck in your head like a lot of these songs even if i hadn't listened to them recently i could picture exactly what happens in, in large sections of them the vocals do have the issue of this is like very woe is me kind of doom and because the delivery is so clear some of it does feel a little over the top but um it, you know it, it, it fits the sound like it is it is kind of appropriate and it's a i say this album does have momentary tendencies towards melodic death metal but it's certainly the more melancholic end of that it's not completely descending into kind of this period of time in flames riffs or anything like that and so yeah something so got to be mentioned as i say there's that prog influence in here and where that sort of comes through in your longer progressive tracks is the guitar solos as i say this this very much feels like a young band throwing all their ideas at the wall and one of the things that's very common with like you know a band of this age with five piece lineup with two lead guitarists is every song both of them have got to get a solo in there 
and the guitar duo of Roman Subatin and uh, Soygok Sengupta are like they are brilliant players. Sadly, uh, I think Roman would leave the band not too long after this. I think he's on the next album, but um, he doesn't doesn't go on to be with them for much longer. They they are brilliant players. Like their their leads are fantastic, but they are huge sections of the song. What they do that I quite like though is they they kind of bridge this gap between some more like kind of classic prog rock kind of guitar leads and then getting into very shreddy metal solos and they'll often do a nice job of like building up between that with like one guitarist trading to the other as the riff changes underneath into a heavier passage like some of the solos are really solid um crimson black bleeding and cease to be both have uh, very memorable leads and also as i mentioned alan mcsporan incredible bass player he gets thrown into the mix throwing in some quite ridiculous bass playing in places I mentioned there's a second instrumental track towards the end of the album. We have Longing, which starts off in this kind of gentle melodic prog. Um, and then as it builds up, like the lead guitar gets going, turns into a shreddy metal back and forth solo. And then the final minute of the song is this ridiculous, like fretless bass solo that goes off into this wild, like tapping passage. And it's just funny hearing a bass player who can kind of keep up with these other two guitarists certainly there's a degree of self-indulgence here but i i feel it fits with the the, the sort of dynamics of this album as they lead like certainly something that has some nods to i think that kind of opeffy sound that was quite popular at the time you know you can even notice it in some of the riffs where there'd be a heavier passage and some acoustic guitar layered in there as well and you know bands of this like younger bands doing this will throw every idea at the wall and it's certainly i think what deeper fundus have done with a bleak reflection something that i think may have held this album back at the time on top of the cover just being completely forgettable um is after the intro which i think the two minute intro works for the album we get the longest track of the album a blaze in autumn's fire almost 12 minute long song that is easily the weakest track of the album for me personally i mean maybe it's Maybe it's a popular one and I'm kind of missing this. But yeah, um, to my mind, if they cut that song, the album would be under an hour and it would start much more kind of directly. Like Nocturnal Splendor has this really catchy riff early on. Um, yeah, I, I just think that would work a lot better. Is it interesting as well? Like this, this has a very kind of 2010 mix to it. Like it's a very clear, precise mix where you can you can hear sort of the abilities of every musician, and no one is ever buried. All five of them are all very clear at all times, which means it loses a little in terms of uh, like like kind of brutality and like you know that kind of slightly more out there sound you get when with the rougher mixes. But you do get to hear all the cool stuff all the musicians are doing, so it's certainly appreciable on on that level. So if you are into, say, the later stuff like the Blinding Light of Faith, or they are a more traditional death metal band, like I'd go back to these older ones and give it a go. There's certainly something interesting here, like the the emptiness within the album after this as well was is kind of in a similar vein. Like these these sort of longer passages, they do do some interesting things with that kind of melding of doom and prog. Um, which is maybe somewhat lacking in their their later albums, but I I'd like the evolution the band had gone on. I, I think both eras are are very interesting. <laughs> ¶¶ 
change in direction with this next album this is 2009's carnage euphoria by vomitory vomitory a band who've been around since relatively early days of the swedish death metal scene forming in 1989 but they didn't have their debut album out till like 96 and like sort of some of their bigger albums like uh, redemption and blood rapture around like the the turn of the millennium um and what's kind of different about them is they just don't sound like a Swedish death metal band either sort of melodic or the kind of heavier end of that they far more have the kind of old school like American approach where it's less atmospheric and evil and more just you know a a punishing like fast attack of like the 4-4 steamroller approach What's going to be interesting as well with Vomitory is they're a band where they've never had an influence of their music that is anything outside of like death metal and slayer riffs like that's that's a pretty much a solid summation of all their releases are some kind of combination of those two but despite that like sort of very clear sort of influence pool on their their style they do have a kind of evolution between albums or like different eras of their sound where like the first couple albums are like distinctly kind of more thrashy and old school then they have a kind of more like trad death metal phase with your uh, blood rapture and primal massacre and then around these next two albums the unfortunately titled terrorize brutalize sodomize and carnage euphoria things get distinctly more brutal death metal like specifically everything gets this bit lower like it's a, I have a lot of albums i really enjoy but like carnage euphoria always sticks out to me as like fitting in this category of stuff i think is way more recent because of that sort of slight change in genre and i think it was the first album of theirs that came out when i was like already into them so i kind of remember picking this up and being really into it but just forgetting yeah once again uh the best part of 14 years has passed since its release and what was kind of euphoria does really well that to me felt a bit different say like primal massacre that i've been really into is just getting that much lower the the bass tone on it is this absolutely huge distorted rumble um that's ever present kind of under the guitar and even has um like moments where it kind of breaks away and is like the clear central focus point like eric vunquist's like his tone is just amazing on this and equally his vocals have suddenly just dropped through the floor he's got like his like scream is kind of mid-range and quite defined on the older albums but this one is just ultra low kind of guttural impenetrable throughout um the the kind of star of the band i, I think is tobias gustav and the drummer he is like a, just a 4-4 powerhouse like these amazing sort of blast beats and grooves throughout that 
just always sound incredibly tight and incredibly driving and the songs are these like you know three or four minute long kind of pretty traditionally structured just collection of great riffs there's occasional detours into leads but this this band is essentially just brutal vocals blast beats and good riffs like there is as i say they they're a band with the influence ball is that like kind of those sort of the closest they get to anything kind of melodic is those kind of like rain in blood era slayer style riffs and then you'll just get into more heavier chuggy blasting stuff and carnage euphoria is a great in for like their the, the kind of if you want their most straightforward most punishing release i think um this would be the one for me they kind of dropped off a bit after this as well um opus mortis their their sort of eighth album and final album before they they split up in 2013 i felt just didn't really work in the same way whereas this one's got a kind of a bit more of a murky production as i say really leaning into that low end the drums are very solidly mixed but everything else is has got this kind of like heavy distortion to it that makes it you know feel brutal feel kind of like just very murky and heavy whereas opus mortis is just a bit too clean and it just it just doesn't have the same same quality of riff rising i don't think um, whereas they, they have reformed since and uh, all heads are going to roll like definitely seems like a step in the right direction from Opus Mortis but again it, it hasn't hasn't kind of resonated with me quite like their older stuff like as I think if I was going to say go for free free vomitory albums of the early material Redemption absolutely amazing um, Primal Massacre kind of in the middle for for the slightly more perfected sound and then Carnage Euphoria is a great one for that kind of more brutal era of vomitry. Something kind of fun I noticed listening through this album again today was um, like almost every track has a sort of drum intro like, you, like over the middle of the album Serpents, um, the excellently titled A Lesson in Virulence, Ripe Cadavers, Rage of Honor all start with like occasionally there's some guitar there but the guitar is not the focal point there is like a little cool drum groove that goes at the start of every song to kind of like almost count you in um, yeah which I just, just think is a really nice touch like all the musicians in this band are really solid like urban gustav and uh brother of uh, drummer tobias like and uh peter osland are both like really solid guitarists but it's just that drum performance is so kind of front and center in this and as i say because the riffs are quite straightforward in their composition there's no there's no like time sig signature fuckery or like any solo in this is purely to just add a bit of emphasis at some point like the aforementioned lesson in virulence has a really cool lead but i don't imagine it's particularly hard to play or anything like nothing is showy other than occasionally the drums do stuff that's just like oh that was a super cool bit of writing really excellently executed yeah it's it's just a good fun album it's 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 certainly not a the the more intellectual end of death metal but you know you don't always need that sometimes you just want a 40 minute slab of really good riffs
So moving on a few years to the next one, this is the debut album from Alters, Paranesia, released in 2013. So this is the Australian-based band, Alters, and they, they have an interesting sound, and it they remind me of some other bands, and oddly enough, I think it's sort of referencing bands from a sim- similar area, like... I, the the band they most put me in mind of is Ulcerate, where they have this kind of core of this very precise, very complex drumming over these quite nebulous guitarists, where there's just like an intensely evil, dark-sounding riff pattern, and then, then vocals that are very indistinct and kind of somewhat ethereal and terrifying in the background. But then... M- bits of how Paranesia is mixed puts me in mind of something like Portal where like the the vocal delivery actually is very similar to the curator from Portal that kind of strange almost like harsh whispered growl that's very like almost translucent it has this strange place in the mix and the guitar tone has that sort of like just harsh buzzing noise to it but more so than say either of those bands i i think alters are a bit more to the point than than both of those there there is some more in there that would um would appreciably be like come across as you know straight up death metal riffs but the the overall atmosphere created is an incredibly dark uh, like kind of very terrifying unsettling sound it's a short album it's only like sort of 40 minutes and they they do a lot within the the couple of tracks on this there's a great deal of like changes of pace and and not a lot of repeating sections it'll have like an eight minute song like solar barge will will go from these like fast like tight blast beat sections into these slower like almost ambient passages and some like very like almost sludge doom riffs in places then you know slightly more experimental stuff it uh, it moves through a lot of a lot of cool ideas even taking a moment in the the kind of the three parts sort of title track uh gibbous which is just like just a minute of feedback building up to the final sort of 10 minute closer Ouroboros which you know I mean I think that's just the right amount of time you can do that for where it does actually pay off extremely well and I think like the writing is spectacular these are really unique sounding songs again remembering it's like 2013 certainly bands like Portal and Ulcerate were doing this very experimental sort of take on death metal at that point in time but you know it was still relatively new i'd say either those bands hadn't quite released their albums that had totally perfected it uh, maybe i think also it might have had destroyers of all out before this but even so you know it, it's still a sound that's like a relatively new idea at this point in time coupled with like the the kind of the painted cover for this like has a very very strange unsettling vibe to it this sort of severed head in this strange candle lit um space and like yeah it just it's something that you know there is there is leans towards black metal in terms of the aesthetic and the the sort of atmosphere created but it has a very classic death metal brutality to it with just sort of the directness of certain parts of the songs are you know they are like for want of a better word like just brutal in the way only 
death metal can be. The other thing that strikes me incredible about this is um, the band are a free piece. Kale Schmidt, the vocalist, um, is also the bass player. So, um, and, and his vocals have that thing where they just sit kind of like at odds with everything. Like, I, like, I absolutely love his delivery on this, but um, yeah, I, I, I would have no idea how you'd do that while also like staying in time with these songs. Like it's it's a very interesting style of playing. Um the band interestingly they sort of went to ground somewhat after this. So they put they put out one more album, The Aesthetic Reflection in twenty twenty two, but they were very quiet in between. And actually there's been some quite um quite major lineup changes in the meantime. Uh Lewis Fisher is the only sort of consistent member since they they formed in like two thousand five and now the now the bass player and vocalist is Brendan Sloan of Convulsing Fame and they've brought in um Dan Nahum who out of stuff I recognise played on that subter subterranean disposition album I really liked from earlier in the year. So you know, he's replaced two very talented musicians like uh uh, Kale Smith and uh, the old drummer uh, Alan Cadman were both incredible players. So he, you know, he's done really well to pull together a new lineup. Who, I mean, really seem like people capable of taking this sound forward. Despite me using those sort of other bands as those references, like Paranesia very much does have its own sound, and it's, it's a sound that's relatively different to the follow-up as well. Like I, I think it's an album that will stand alone for for a long time i think it's one people who are into it will keep coming back to because it does something i've not found elsewhere it's a very a very interesting release like being sort of that dark and atmospheric but still very much rooted in a core of heavy death metal <laughs> Next album I want to cover, I think it's quite a popular one. This is Gateways to the Anti-Sphere, a 2015 album from Sulphur Aeon, a German bass band who've been active for since 2010. And actually, I've just seen I've got a new album coming out next month, which is pretty cool. I haven't had anything out since uh, 2018. But these guys play kind of a brand of black and death metal that I think takes heavy influence from that kind of middle peer of behemoth sound, particularly stuff like Demigod. There's a similar style to their, their sort of the melodic riffs, the sort of lead passages. I think they're using like similar scales and just similar approach to the melodies there. And then the drumming also has that same sense of atmospheric. These kind of like very dramatic tom rolls that will like lead into far more technical sections much like uh i think like inferno definitely sort of 
laid the template for that kind of sound. But yeah, these guys do this exceptionally well. Like the, and it's yet another another three piece lineup. Um, each go by single letter pseudonyms, but we have vocalist M, um, guitarist and bass player, and main songwriter T, and then drummer D. Um, and yeah, D's performance on this is is pretty special. Like the he's just like it's the way he writes things it is that ability to do these like sort of little additions that really make riffs sort of pop out and, and seem very vibrant and going into these like very tight super fast double kick passages like the, the you know yet more incredibly well executed blast beats i guess we're talking about modern death metal here it is rare you get bands you go oh that drum is rubbish <laughs> like if they're popular albums they they it will stick with people but um yeah like uh vocalist m puts in a fantastic performance as well from like the first you sort of hear him in uh devotion to the cosmic chaos he's he does a huge scream that just like lasts for ages and then like continuously varied vocal approach he's got it again like kind of mid to higher range vocals that you sort of expect from the the black and death metal camp with again quite an atmospheric dramatic touch to it it just really works well for him and you know as you can imagine from sort of the song titles and so on very lovecraftian kind of theme stuff but it fits very well with the spectacular album cover this is a band who have always had really really cool very detailed album covers and this this one in particular is is kind of a mind-blowing piece this great sort of tentacle coming out of uh out of the sea into like a kind of warping like galaxy like kind of messed up galaxies kind of skyscape it's it's such a cool bit of art i think ola larson has done the art for all their albums and they're, they're all very good but this like gateways to the anti-sphere in, in particular is just an amazing piece and for that kind of like more digital style like that sometimes can look a bit um I don't know, like, soulless. This, this really doesn't. This is incredibly, incredibly detailed and, and interesting. But yeah, like, the arm itself, it's, yeah, it's very slickly done. Like, the the mix is, is again, it, it does have that kind of feeling of those those sort of behemoth albums with, you know, very clearly triggered kicks that are you know, big in the mix, like really sort of driving things, and then the huge layering of guitars where they're given quite a lot of space when they go for the slightly more melodic passages, and then a bit of um, a bit of keyboards layer in there. Uh, they actually the guest musician on this playing the playing the keyboards would later join the band. So I think in in recent years, Solferian have um, actually from the next album, the Cipher of Constant Chaos, they've they've grown to a five piece i assume to like be able to start performing this stuff live um as like their their 2020 release um was actually a live album so yeah like it's cool though they, they've turned the lineup into that kind of thing where this isn't just one guy having to handle all guitar and bass duties but the performance and the sound by by the three guys doing it is is pretty spectacular what i really enjoy about this is like that kind of like at first pass almost impenetrable layering of things if you listen to the title track like there, there's this section in the middle where it's like this atmospheric guitar where the the drums start doing this this like endless like really fast tom roll underneath it and get more and more complex and change more and more and then as the drums sort of crescendo we go into this other pattern where there's all these different melodies happening at once and it's and the drum performance remains ever kind of chaotic and 
and technical. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's that music you've got to spend time to sort of penetrate. There's a lot of, a lot going on here. But, you know, it remains kind of tightly written. As I say, the songs don't stretch much outside the five-minute mark. And for all their this complexity, they are still, like, quite catchy in their own way. As I say, those those melodic passages and the vocal delivery are very memorable. Another influence I did notice on this album was there's a touch of like Swedish melodeth in some tracks, particularly like Abyss Hex and Here's the Gate. You get these kind of very catchy, like more simplistic lead passages that, um, yeah, like are reminiscent of that later at the gates kind of sound. It's just rather than having a more straightforward kind of drum pass underneath them the drummer is kind of burying them with endless ever-changing fills which kind of works for the sound and it does break up from the kind of more, like less clearly structured complex songs you get some kind of melodic hooks to sort of bring you back down to earth i also quite like how this album has a really cool sort of intro and outro to it like this is one of those rare cases where it's like a two minute building outro uh intro sorry to to drown this world that um does serve as a proper lead up to the first song it, it is like it builds when the vocalist comes in like all this kind of stuff it does just really work to add some like more kind of like drama and atmospherics to the opening song of the album, which, yeah, I'm really into. This album was recommended to me by Nathaniel Underwood of Damn In Fame, and I don't think it's an album I would have checked out otherwise because the album cover is fucking horrendous. This is Agonist with their second album, 2015's The Bad Old Days. I believe the band have sort of split up now, or at least they haven't really done anything else since. And this is not to be confused with The Agonist. This is Agonist spelt with a Y instead of an I. Um, they're a UK-based band, um, 
who play, according to Metal Archives, a mixture of death, thrash, and metalcore. Although, don't let that put you off. They play, like, it's quite interesting brand of, like, very experimental... I, I'd say it's still rooted primarily in death metal, but it definitely has a little bit of, like, strapping young lad energy to it with some industrial metal tendencies, these occasional incredibly odd clean vocals, a full choir. They've actually, like, credited, like, 20 uh, choral vocalists who come in every so often and there's loads of like synth layering there and it also has that same like fucked up very near the knuckles sense of humor but is incredibly british like there there's there's these like sampled intros to every song that are um utterly ridiculous like the the album starts with the uh, now on radio 4 <laughs> kind of samples which i thought was very funny um there's a song later on where they've edited together this clip of the film reviewers kermode and mayo discussing the difference between uh death metal and groove metal which makes for a fantastically kind of stupid intro to a song but the album is this very kind of modern sort of forward-thinking take on on death metal at its core. There's all these sort of interesting sort of layered things going on, like the regular moves between sort of clean tone and like heavier guitar. So you do have these kind of more traditional sort of blasting sections, but then with like you know, kind of deep guttural vocals over it. But then they, yeah, so they will layer in like all this other stuff, these synths and choirs. Um, to make these kind of sort of more melodic passages, but they're not melodic in your kind of traditional melodic death metal sense. A song like Poison Man, I'd say, sits somewhere between like later decapitated and sick, where like it starts with this very complex like guitar tapping pattern riff that you know feels reminiscent of those older sick releases, but then goes into this more modern tech death kind of section and particularly the way the vocals are, are delivered really kind of feel in that vein but then the fantastically named Dolcard Dionysus has as I say those really sort of strapping on lad kind of like almost Devon Townsend energy of this very heavy music but layered with a lot of these um sort of cleaner like more atmospheric sounding um parts the musicianship is fairly spectacular but as I say like there's those bands he's referencing um there is a lot of that like kind of stop start nature to some of the riffs like and very complex like immensely like technical to play but I know that kind of style does put certain listeners off and this has that very sort of synthetic sound to it like the the drums are like they almost sound like they could be programmed and the musicians credited but they do have that that sort of that feel to them where i think a lot of it's sort of been sample replaced or triggered but it fits with the the really complex technicality of this huge bass guitar and like and lead guitar sound that just like really makes the mix this like massive overwhelming sort of wall and that that kind of uh, utter precision coupled with the really sort of unhinged all over the place vocal approaches is, is really kind of fun and you never know what you're going to get next when they song like um something like pinnacle where this very heavy technical death metal suddenly gives way to this like almost like faux operatic clean section or the next track we're just in the middle we get this like sort of gentle math rock kind of tapping section that gets more and more complex and like this amazingly well played like bass and drum section 
comes in overneath underneath it like the, the bass like does this really complex like almost lead tapping part and it builds back up into death metal it's you know really interestingly constructed stuff i think for a lot of listeners it will be that sort of sense of humor that will um will either appeal or put you off um there's definitely some unfortunate use of language that is like it hasn't aged so well in certain tracks but um you know the the first track of the album is called larp and the world laughs at you which i think is an absolutely hilarious track title but the runtime is almost an hour and i'd say at least five to six minutes of that is these kind of silly sample intros so some listeners might not get along with that i i kind of found this like funny and quite charming in in a lot of ways and it's certainly like an interesting sound like i i don't think there's there's a lot of bands out there doing something exactly like agonist like at least on the bad old days i've not checked out their um their debut album So, got a really good one to end on. This is Sarpanatum with their 2015 album, Blessed Be My Brothers. So, Sarpanatum, uh, another UK-based band, been around for quite a while, but this is only their their second album. They're apparently still active, though, and I'm really hoping they put out more. So, I came across them because the album has drums played by Leon Macy, who's the drummer, lead guitarist, and mastermind behind the excellent uh, tech death band Mifras. He also sort of mixed the album as well, and then the the rest of the lineup is made up by uh, Tom Hyde playing all the guitars and bass, and then Tom Innocenti, who does the vocals. So... What's interesting about this is I, if I was to listen to this without any kind of other information, I would assume it was Leon playing guitar as well. Like it really has the Mifras kind of guitar tone, that huge like wall of sound. Like they're, they're, there's something about that guitar tone that is just incredibly unique and stands out immediately. Both, both actually in the lead and the the sort of rhythm guitar parts that just absolutely fill the mix, and then. Leon's like drum performance is kind of unmistakable as well. He's a very precise, very complex, extremely fast drummer. Um, but then what's quite different is like Mifras have that very 
distinct vocal delivery whereas Tommy Nocenti kind of um, reminds me somewhat of like Carl Sanders' ultra low very um, like like there's there's enunciation there but you you can't tell what they're saying there it's, it's sort of like the words are distinct but it's just so low it's beyond comprehension um and the songs are more straightforward than Mifras. there isn't that same level of technicality like from the intro uh komenos like it's this gradual sort of very epic sounding build of just this kind of couple of cool lead guitar passages but they're nothing like massively technical there until the drums started getting really fast and then by virtuous reclamation the the first track proper just brings in this absolutely brilliant lead guitar riff that you know will, will be stuck in your head forever after hearing this it's um yeah, and then, then we get like, some of the vocals, and you get the back and forth of this album's kind of shown quite well by that first track, where you have, like, really sort of cool, catchy, melodic guitar lead over this very, very fast, like, kind of blasting section. Then we get this more indistinct, like, kind of more technical, um, like, riff, like, passage that comes in, and sort of back and forth between those, and then this, this ultra-low vocal delivery over it. But the songs are more kind of traditionally structured than um, sort of the complexity you might get from something like Mifras, who I can't help but compare them to due to Liam being them both. Like, yeah, the, there's, the album is just full of, like, these really brilliantly guitar passages and it um it has a sort of very historical bent to it with like these like very overly epic song titles like glorification upon the powdered bones of the sundered dead or thy sermon lies forever tarnished bless me my brother just all it all sits in that kind of register sort of lyrically which i think works these songs are very huge epic sounding pieces but again, it's another album where the runtime is short. It's 10 tracks, it's just 40 minutes. None of them outstay their welcome. These are just, like, very riffy, catchy death metal songs. But with this really unique sound to them. The way, the way the guitar sounds on this album, as I say, there's nothing like it outside of Mithras. And because of the kind of more simplistic approach to some of the leads, where, like, the leads aren't these wildly complex explosions of notes. They're just these sort of catchy passages that are meant to be the real focal point of the song. Um, it has a very different nature to it. Another detail I quite like about this album is, like, despite the short runtime, they throw in some cool interludes. As I said, there's that big intro track, and then we get Immortalizer's Golden Spires and Homeland, which are, like, these kind of like one is is just entirely sort of like keep synth atmospherics and then the other is like an instrumental so there's there's like breaks between things so there, there's 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 a lot of variety here and i think i've possibly unfairly like downplayed tom hyde's like guitar ability with this stuff like the the guitar work is incredibly impressive and and technical it's just it doesn't quite have leon macy's level of just next level intricacy i think tom hyde actually was playing like guitar live for mifras when, when i saw them back in like 2017 something like that um and vic lockhab the the current bass player of the band is is still in the the mifras uh lineup um that, now they've slimmed back down to a three piece 
Lil Macy's drum performance on this as well, absolutely ridiculous. Like, as I say, this guy just has such a complex approach to these things and plays at such tremendous speed. The the mix is like, and this is this is true of Mifras albums, it is almost sort of overwhelmed by that combination of the huge kick and snare sound the drums and then like the the lead guitar feels like the rest of the space the vocals are quite background to that but i think with that ultra low vocal delivery that sort of works like they don't need to be the primary force they're just like another slight brutal element to the sound yeah this is just a really cool release and it's it's something i can see why the band like they only have the two albums like I could see this taking a lot of time to put together. So they'd been active since 2003. Uh, Despoilment of Origin, their first album was back in 2007. Um, and this isn't until like eight years later. And again, they like, <laughs> as I say, it still to me sounds really contemporary because I don't think anything quite sounds like this. Like there is, um, Sarpanism just have a sound that is is really, really unique and cool and I'd love to see more bands doing this, or particularly like more from this band. Like, there's there's something very special to this release, right? I think that'll about do it for this episode. Um, the, as I say, this is a group of of death metal albums that I I always think of as being very contemporary, like particularly because of how much I sort of enjoy them. I, I think I forget that like some of them have been around as long as they have. So, um. Yeah, maybe like they can be forgiven for reminding me of the passage of time just by virtue of their level of quality. Before I finish up, I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, listener Jan, who very kindly sent me a copy of uh, Sutra's Dunes on Bandcamp, which absolutely amazing album that I'll definitely have to like do a proper coverage of at some point in time. If if anyone else is interested in uh, in sending me uh, stuff via Bandcamp, I would be extremely up for that. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with the podcast in general. Um, philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com if you want to email otherwise like i'm on facebook uh and instagram like if you send, send me a message on either of those yeah i'll try my best to respond otherwise uh thanks a lot for listening Order.